0: Welcome to the Global Missions Inc. podcast. Today's episode features Andy Snoke with a message called The Seven Last Sayings of the Lord. For centuries, mankind has analyzed the last words of Jesus as he hung as the sacrificial lamb upon the cross some 2,000 years ago. His words from the cross revealed his character, his compassion, and his love to a lost and suffering world. So many have preached, written, sung, and talked about these words of Jesus. So this message cannot be considered an original. A concerto was written as far back as 1786 using these seven statements from the Lord. However, I wish to present these words as I feel inspired, and I will attempt to note expressions from previous writers. The seven sayings form part of the Christian meditation that is often used during Lent, Holy Week, and Good Friday. The traditional order of these sayings is according to the King James Version of the Bible like this. Number one, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Number two, verily, I say unto thee today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Number three, woman, behold thy son. And he says to a disciple, behold thy mother. Number four, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Number five, I thirst. Number six, it is finished. And number seven, Father, into thy hands, I commend my spirit. You can read about the full account of these scriptures in Matthew 26, 14 through 27, Mark chapter 14, 12 to 15, Luke chapter 22 through 23, and John chapter 18 through 19. Let's begin with the first saying of Jesus from the cross. It speaks of forgiveness. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is Luke 23, 34. There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And When they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand, the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. Luke 23, 32 to 35. As Jesus hung on the cross, he was witness to the sol- Roman soldiers casting lots for his few earthly possessions, which was his garments. What is remarkable about the soldiers casting lots, was that this event was prophesied in detail centuries before in Psalms 22:18 they divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots when Psalms 22:18 was written some 1000 years before the crucifixion the cross and the methods of crucifixion were not even yet invented also, the Roman executioners that gambled at the foot of the cross did so illegally. And yet the scriptures prophesied in exact detail this event centuries earlier. Brothers and sisters, there's never been a piece of literature as accurate and as infallible as the word of God. As Jesus suffered from the excruciating pain, a slow suffocation, added to the pain of the nails through his hands and legs. He viewed the Roman soldiers who had just minutes before placed him on the cross as they gambled for his earthly possessions. At the same time, the rulers mocked Jesus and said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers mocked him and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Jesus, Jesus cried out to the Father with a heart of love and compassion, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgiveness for all in the form of this man, Jesus, was hanging on that cross. Forgiveness for the sins that we are, for the sin that we commit through either commission or omission was on that cross. For this reason, Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice that we might have our sins continually and forever forgiven. Jesus loved the rulers of his day that condemned him to the cross. He loved the Roman soldiers who illegally occupied Israel, who burdened the Jews with high taxes, who stooped at the foot of the cross, who gambled for Jesus's last possessions and mocked him in their ignorance. Forgiveness because of the cross came from a heart of divine love. Jesus put an end to the requirement for perpetual animal sacrifices of blood to pay for the sins that mankind constantly committed. On that cross, the Lamb of God became the last sacrifice and offered forgiveness to all that would call upon his name. Ray Overholt, born 1924, died 1958, was saved by singing his own song about Jesus on the cross. Ray was a talented cowboy singer who played nightclubs and taverns in Battle Creek, Michigan, long ago. He went on to have a rather successful TV show because of his singing talents. According to a written testimony about Ray Overholt published in 2018, it goes like this. Quote, Ray said, One day I thought to myself, I've written secular songs. I'd like to write a song about Christ. I opened the Bible. I began to read the portion of scripture that describes Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, telling Peter to put away his sword. Overholt said, I read where Jesus told Peter that he could ask his father and he would send 12 legions of angels. I didn't know at the time that that would have been more than 72,000 angels. After reading the passage, Overholt says he thought he could have called 10,000 angels. That would be a good title for the song. Ray Overholt said, I was playing in a nightclub in Battle Creek, Michigan, when the Lord impressed me to write this song. I wrote the first verse and I put it in my guitar case, Overholt said. I then gave the club my notice that I was quitting. While I was trying to find out who this man Jesus was and writing the song, I was saved. Overholt went on to describe how the song brought him to the Savior. Sometime later, he said, I found myself singing at a small church. And I sang that song that I wrote. He could have called 10,000 angels. Following my singing, a preacher spoke a message that gripped my heart. I knew I needed Christ. So I knelt there and accepted as my Savior, the one whom I had been singing and writing about. Ray Overholt met the Savior that he had sung about. He received forgiveness salvation, and eternal life. My friend, you can too. Jesus is still in the saving business. Ray's well-known song goes like this. They bound the hands of Jesus in the garden where he prayed. They led him through the streets in chain. They spat upon the Savior so pure and free from sin. They said, crucify him. He's to blame. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. Upon his precious head, they placed a crown of thorns. They laughed and said, behold the king. They struck him and they cursed him and mocked his holy name. All alone, he suffered everything. When they nailed him to the cross, his mother stood nearby. He said, woman, behold thy son. He cried, I thirst for water. They gave him none to drink. Then the sinful work of man was done. Till the howling mob he yielded, he he did not for mercy cry. The cross of shame he took alone. When he cried, it is finished, he gave himself to die. Salvation's wondrous plan was done. The second saying from the cross was deals with salvation. Today you will be with me in paradise, Luke 23, 43. What a simple verse. Then one of the criminals who was hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. 39 to 43. Jesus came to offer mankind salvation and an internal home in heaven. The scriptures are full of references to an eternal home for those that have given themselves to Christ. There were two thieves that hung on either side of Christ. One was self-centered and only wanted to be free of his death penalty. The other one was repentant. The repentant thief knew that he himself deserved this sentence, but that truly this Jesus was a just man. I often marvel at at the simplicity of the criminal's question to Jesus. The repentant thief did not know the traditional sinner's prayer. He must have known almost no scriptures. It was impossible for him to be baptized as his life was already slipping away. On the cross, he simply asked the Savior, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And that was all that Jesus needed the repentant heart of a sinner looking to Jesus for salvation. And Jesus spoke, Today, you will be with me in paradise. My friend, it is very easy to be saved. It's very easy to have your name written in the book of life. The, t- the thief learned the way. The scriptures offer us much hope in receiving salvation through Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, John three sixteen. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I promise I will come again and receive you to myself, Jesus says, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. John 14, one to four, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, six, my friends, there is only one way to heaven. There is only one door to heaven, and, and that is through Jesus Christ. Do you know the Savior is your Lord? Have you asked him into your heart? With a repentant heart, you can receive God's salvation before this message is even over. The third subject that Jesus spoke about from the cross is termed relationship. Woman, behold thy son, behold thy mother, John nineteen twenty six to 27. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the, and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. From, from that hour that that disciple took her to his own home, John nineteen twenty six to 27. Methodist minister Adam Hamilton's 2009 interpretation goes like this. Jesus looked down from the cross to see his mother standing nearby. As far as we know, only one of the 12 apostles was there, at the foot of the cross, the disciple whom Jesus loved and who is usually identified as John. Naked and in horrible pain, he thought not of himself, but was concerned for the well-being of his mother after his death. This shows Jesus's humanity and the depth of love he had for his mother and the disciple into which he entrusted her. That's the end of that quotation. Jesus demonstrated from the cross his love for all of mankind and his love and desire to provide for his own mother, Mary. Jesus was taking care of his earthly responsibilities before his journey through the grave and ultimately in heaven. He loved his mother. John was given the responsibility of caring for Mary, and he did well. John, known as the Apostle of Love, will eventually move Mary to Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey, where he would care for her for the remainder of her days. Perhaps that is why the Lord allowed John to live into his 90s at a time when few would live to be 50 or 60. John needed the lifespan to care for Mary. To love God is to love his people. They go hand in hand. To love God's people is to love God. The scriptures are filled with admonitions to love one another as Jesus loved his own mother. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends, John 15, 12-13. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven to 39. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins, 1 Peter 4, verse 8. The next subject from the cross, number four, is abandonment. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Matthew twenty-seven forty-six. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani," That is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is the only saying which appears in more than one gospel, And it is also quoted prophetically from Psalms 22, verse 1. This statement that Jesus cried out often stands as a mystery to many. Did God really forsake his only son on the cross? The answer is no. But God, for a few moments, could not look at Jesus as he carried the stain of not just my sins, but the sins of the world, past, present, and future. Jesus, though Jesus was sinless, for those few hours he hung on the cross, he bore all the sins of the world. God could not look upon sin, for he made himself who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Jesus knew the human emotion of feeling forsaken as we sometimes do. Jesus was acquainted with all of the human human emotions of grief, loss, and pain. But the greatest agony of all must have been those few hours that God had to look away until it was finished. We are blessed to have a Savior that is fully acquainted with our sorrows, He fully understands all the human emotions that we endure. The Bible says he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And that is Isaiah 53 Verse three to four. The fifth subject is distress. I thirst John nineteen twenty eight. After this the Bible says Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said I thirst John nineteen twenty eight. This was another prophecy fulfilled from over a thousand years before the crucifixion. The Psalmist wrote. Quote, they also gave me gall for my food and for my thirst. They gave me vinegar to drink, Psalm sixty nine twenty one. Jesus knew what it was like to be thirsty. The, the blood loss from his injuries on the cross caused dehydration so rapidly uh, set to, to rapidly set in, causing an unquenchable thirst. What a tremendous thought that the one that could give living water also knew what it's like to be physically thirsty for temporary water. The scriptures record a previous event where Jesus was physically weary and thirsty. He used this incident to prove that he had the authority to pour out living water. Now, Jacob's well was there, the Bible says. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. as about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water, John 4, 6 through 10. The Bible says Jesus answered and he said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. John 4, 13 to 14. Because of the price Jesus paid on the cross, living water is now available to all that ask without price. The Bible says "And the spirit and the bride say come and let him who hears say come and let him who thirst come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. It's Revelation 22, verse 17. The sixth subject is called triumph. It is finished, John nineteen thirty. I love this. It is finished. What a simple, powerful, and profound statement. The crowd that witnessed the crucifixion must have been familiar with this word that Jesus proclaimed in Greek as teteleste, literally meaning it is finished. Business documents and receipts for goods or loans that have been fully paid for were stamped with the word teteleste. It is finished. It's now complete it's now paid off in full. Your sins are erased. The debt is forever forgiven. Jesus completed his mission. It is finished. The resurrection that will soon follow would change the world. When Jesus proclaimed triumphantly, it is finished. He made the resurrection available to all of mankind in their own time. The Bible says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as an Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits. Afterward, those who are Christ at his coming. First Corinthians fifteen twenty to 23. Much like the song we joyfully sing, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, amazing grace all day long. My Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. It is finished. Teteleste. Dispensations and time pivoted on this crucial moment on the cross. And another 50 days or so, the dispensation of law would make way for the dispensation of grace and for the church age. Time would be ultimately be measured by before the cross and after the cross, however, in less specific terms. On this very night, there would be earthquakes. Darkness would fall in the middle of the day and graves would be open with lost loved ones rising from the earth. Death would lose its grip. And in the sacred temple, the two-inch-thick veil, that separated man from the presence of God in the Holy of Holies, would be torn through the middle, from top to bottom, from heaven to earth. Truly, it is finished. The last saying on the cross deals with reunion. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Luke 23, verse 46 and when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands, I commend my spirit, Luke twenty three forty six. Once again, this proclamation for the lips of Jesus was also prophesied in Psalms 31, 5, over a thousand years before the crucifixion. This was a divine announcement that the Son of Man had committed his path and destiny to the Lord. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, God of truth. Psalms 31, verse 5. A thousand years before the event happened, that was prophesied the very words. Adam Hamilton, pastor and writer, has written that, quote, When darkness seems to prevail in life, it takes faith even to talk to God, even if it is to complain to him. These last words of Jesus from the cross show his absolute trust in God. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. This has been turned a model of prayer for everyone when afraid, sick, or facing one's own death. It says, in effect, I commit myself to you, O God, in my living and in my dying, in the good days and in the bad Whatever I am and have, I place place in your hands, O God, for your safekeeping, end of quotation. The Christian symbol for Christianity is an empty cross. I've always loved seeing that elegant, simple symbol. It means so much to so many so quickly. My wife wears a cross necklace often and it immediately communicates to, to those around her that she is a Christian. I heard a young teenager say that he always wore a cross so that his classmates knew who he stood, stood with. In the days of Jesus under Roman occupation, the cross was seen as a horrific instrument of torture and death until crucifixion was finally outlawed. But Jesus made the empty cross a symbol of triumph, life over death, forgiveness of sins, eternal life. Permit me to close with just a few words from the song, The Old Rugged Cross. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross for the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish that old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and change it someday for a crown. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the work of the cross. We thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, made upon that cross on our behalf. Help us, Lord, to never forget the price that you paid for our salvation. Truly, it's a bloody gospel. And we thank you, Lord. We know there was a tremendous price paid. We thank you for the price that you paid for all of us, that we might have that salvation. We thank you, Lord, that you know our sorrows our depression, our grief. You're acquainted with all of them. We pray, dear Lord, that you help us all to walk victoriously with you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like more information about the moving of God's spirit or resources for your spiritual life, please visit our website at www.globalmissionsinc.org.